Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Five Plain Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to Indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bears, people in the community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of the Indigenous Art Programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our Indigenous communities from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to Larissa Fasthorse. Larissa Fasthorse of the Shichungu Lakota Nation is an award-winning writer and a 2020 through 2025 MacArthur Fellow. Her satirical comedy, The Thanksgiving Play, made her the first known Native American playwright on Broadway at the Helen Hayes under the direction of Rachel Shavkin. Her new plays in 2023 are We Chone at the Cornerstone Theatre Company, Democracy Project at Federal Hill, Fake It Until You Make It at the CTG Mark Tabor Forum, For the People at the Guthrie Theatre in Minneapolis, and the national tour of Peter Pan. Selected past plays include What Would Crazy Horse Do?, Landless and Cow Pie Bingo, Average Family, and Teaching Disco Square Dancing to Our Elders, a class presentation at the Native Voices at the Altry, as well as numerous productions of Thanksgiving Play, making one of the most produced plays in America. Larissa created the nationally recognized trilogy of community-engaged theatrical experiences with Cornerstone Theatre Company, Urban Res, Native Nation, and We Chone. She and her collaborator, Michael John Garces, spent years on each project in the indigenized community engagement process. The engagement itself is the art form. These projects have earned them national funding and the appointment to Arizona State University. Larissa's company, with Ty Defoe, Indigenous Direction, recently produced the first land acknowledgement on national television for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade on NBC and continues to consult for them. They also consult for the largest theater organizations in the country. Larissa also writes for film and television, most recently as a creator for NBC, Disney Channel, DreamWorks, Muse, Network, among others. She is based in Los Angeles with her husband, the sculptor Ed Hogan, and is represented by Jonathan Mills at Paradigm, New York. She is especially honored to follow in the footsteps of the last known Native American playwright on Broadway, Lynn Riggs. So, with all that said, let's jump into this conversation with Larissa Fastors. Larissa Fasthorst, thank you so much for joining us at Five Plain Questions. It's really great to have you here. Thanks. I'm thrilled to be here. I appreciate you asking me. Oh, yes. No, I'm more, more than happy to, that you're here. Mm-hmm. Um, would you be able to tell us a little bit about yourself, your backgrounds, uh, where you're from, and what it is that you do? Yeah, so um, I'm a member of the Sichangu Lakota Nation in South Dakota, which is um, known by the government as the Rosebud Sioux Tribe. Uh, I was uh, brought up in South Dakota, but I was brought up primarily off my reservation, first in Winter, South Dakota, where I was adopted um, by a white family, which uh, plays somewhat prominently in a lot of my stories and and things I've written about. Um, And then we moved to Pierce, South Dakota, where my father worked as... um, an executive in the state government, and I grew up primarily in Peer. And now I, um, yeah, that's who I, where I came from, and what I is that what you asked? I think so. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like about to go rambling on and on, you know, how we can. <laughs> oh yes, I, I I love it when the the guest just just takes it where they want to go. That's that's what I'm here for. So, yeah. Um, I guess as far as your background grow, goes, uh, can you talk about that journey and how you've you've gotten to where you are today? 
Yeah, so I am now a playwright and theater maker in general. Um, I used to be a classical ballet dancer uh, before this. I am a, another play that's being written about that journey, being a ballet dancer from South Dakota. Um, but now I make theater both in traditional kind of theater spaces in a Western way, like uh, on Broadway and here at the Guthrie where I am right now, or also in, um, I'd say more <laughs> traditional in the Lakota way of making theater in community, in prairies, in powwow grounds and community centers, and all of everything in between. Hmm. Uh, I'm on the board of the Black Hills Playhouse. And can you talk a little bit about that experience? Offhand. Yeah, we were just so um, my collaborator, Michael John Costas, and I uh, just finished a production of Wichu, which we toured throughout South Dakota this past summer. And uh, the Black Hills Playhouse was an incredible partner for us. And actually, we did our first preview performance out there at the grounds, which was um, so supportive and incredibly helpful to uh, both the play, but just ourselves as Native people to start at Hesapa and, and be on those lands and, and be able to um, tell a story that is, you know, Lakota, Dakota, Nakota people telling their own stories in their own ways on their own lands. Um, it was just a perfect way to start out. And we're really grateful to Black Hills Playhouse for having such a an understanding of whose lands they're on and, and really working hard to be good good stewards and good partners and good relatives. And uh, that was a pretty incredible experience. And we just, we finished that tour in mid-June and um, we're hoping to be able to continue it to more reservations. We missed a couple uh, in South and North Dakota and we're hoping to be able to come back, you know, raise the funds to come back and continue to do more. Right on. Well, shout out to Linda Anderson for her leadership there. And uh, yeah, I hope I can do what I can to assist with, with making that happen. So uh, would you be able to talk about your biggest influences? You know, I think early on we have um, influences from home and community. And uh, as we progress through our career, uh, we have uh, different types of influences. Uh, would you be able to talk about that? Wow, yeah. I mean, the way I make um, a lot of my theater, most of my theater, I'd say, is through working in community. So my influences are endlessly changing. I'm really privileged that people trust me to um, in di different indigenous communities to uh, influence me. <laughs> like they trust me to like either not necessarily tell, tell their stories, but tell their dreams, tell their desires, tell um, how they want things to be done. Tell me what um, hasn't happened that they wish would happen. Tell me, you know, the um, sometimes the things that have happened they wish hadn't happened um and and to me those are my strongest influences are community members and so my my constant um process is asking people you know what asking native folks specifically what is it um you want people to know about you what hasn't been gotten right about you you know what what do you wish for and dream for in the future and then i try to craft my plays around um some version of that and even when it's not a community engaged piece directly i'm still constantly thinking of those community members that i've that I've met along the way in other projects and thinking, you know, what is it that I can give to them that they're asking for? Um, and so my biggest influences are, are actually just literally thousands of native community members that I talk to in my work throughout the country. Hmm. So the, the next question is about how one develops their career in college and post-college. What, what was it that drew you to, uh, theater to begin with and to dance as well, because you are a choreographer. 
Yeah, I was a classical ballet dancer in my first career and then um, found writing later. I did not go to college. Um, school in general just was not a good fit for me. And um, I was a ballet dancer and um, went to almost a year of college. <laughs> and then they actually kicked me out of the ballet program. So there we are. Um, and I had to move on. <laughs> so, um, you know, within a year after that, I had my first professional job. So too bad. Um, and then when I started writing, I was... Um, in a position where I was, you know, a grown adult married to a sculptor and um, I didn't have the luxury of the time or the money to go back to school. And so I had to make, I've always had to make money in my life and um, I had to keep working. So I um, worked my way into becoming a, a, a writer. I created, so what I did, which I think, you know, it worked for me. It obviously didn't work for everybody. Some people need that structure of school. I need not structure. <laughs> and so um, it worked really well for me was creating um, an apprenticeship for myself. And I, and I created this with an organization called Career Transitions for Dancers. And they help dancers transition into the next career because we retire so early. I was like 29 years old and retired. And um, so they helped me um, set up kind of a path of what I want to do next and then how to get there and then create this internship with this, these career counselors. And, um, and I worked as first, uh, uh, I knew I wanted to be a writer and I thought I was gonna work in film and TV first. And so like I, I got a job as a paid intern and then I went from there to a second assistant and then I became a first assistant and I became a creative executive, but all along the way telling people like, I want to write, this is what I want to do. And so they'd help me and say, oh, great. Well, then if you want to write, when I was an intern, I had the best internship was like two years of grad school. I mean, uh, the, the executive put me on a project with a good friend of his that was working for it at Universal Studios, the good friend that was creating a new movie for them. And he said, you're gonna start with him from the first inception and go through the first draft of the script with this writer. And I was his partner through it. And it just taught me exactly what a writer has to do and the whole process of working through the studio and the steps and the pitches. And, and then I had to work with the coverage department to learn how coverage works and you know, just could do everything from every side. I mean, it was, it was grad school in six months. It was incredible. Um, and I think actually more useful than, sorry, 90% of grad schools I hear people coming out of. Um, you know, there's a lot of waste in, um, in, I will say, in theater education that isn't practical. You know, certainly there's a lot of, um, you need to learn about theory and, and practice and things. But it's fascinating to me how many people I talk to come out of these programs that have no idea how to get a job, and no idea how to, how the job they, they think they want works. They don't even know what the function of it is. They don't know how to get paid. They've never heard of the union contracts, you know, so make sure if you're going to go to a theater program there or any arts program that it sets you up to work if that's what you want to do. That, you know, some of these programs are just setting you up to be an academic. Um, if you want to work and be a practicing artist, make sure that program is aiming you toward that because many of these programs are not. I think you make a really great point. Um, a number of folks that I've interviewed for this program uh, who are doing the work actually didn't go to film school or didn't go to a grad program. They just uh, somehow, they were able to, to make those connections and put the work in to, to get where they are. Mm -hmm. um, I guess for, for those who are not looking at school as an option, um, what, what advice would you have for that individual? Yeah, I mean, you have to work really hard. I will say the one thing that school does give you is a network. And, you know, I came into first film and TV and then later theater knowing zero people. I had nobody. Um, and I was just going to any, you know, volunteering 
at every event that would have me as a volunteer to meet people. I was, you know, just asking, how can I be a service? You know, I'll do whatever you need just to get in and meet folks and, and find the jobs um, and find the connections and find programs. Um, I did go through, and when I was in film and TV, I went through several of the native programs um, at studios. I did the Fox uh, uh, diversity program, writing program. I did the ABC, no, Disney one out at IAIA. And then I did the native um, fellowship with uh, Sundance with a feature film. And so I did all those which were invaluable in um, getting to know people and getting to understand the business. Um, but that's the hardest part, I would say, if you're not gonna go to schools, you don't have a built-in network. You know, people, they always talk, they joke in theater, we joke about the Yale mafia. Like when you come out of Yale grad school or Yale theater school, you have a built-in network of the top people in our business. Um, I had zero people. <laughs> so I had to build my own network and I do it by being of service and, and um, going to the conferences and getting to know people and, and, and just doing whatever I could, you know, when I couldn't afford a conference, I'd call people and say, Hey, can I volunteer? Will you, if I, if I can get myself there on someone's couch, will you, and I volunteer, will you let me attend the sessions, you know, things like that. And I do whatever it took to get in the room and get to know these people. Mm. Um, and I did that for a lot of years. That that's a great point. Um, I went to grad school for uh, storyboarding, and mm -hmm. I think the, the they taught nothing about how to get a job, but I was yeah. able to make those connections, um, mm -hmm. and that's you know from one person to the next, and that was how I was able to yep. develop uh, projects to get on. But yeah, that's yeah. that's one of the biggest blind spots for for schools. So that's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, we've, we've talked, we've been talking about this for a little bit, but um, how have opportunities presented themselves to you uh, early on and uh, currently now? Yeah, you know, it's been a combination of me, like I said, putting myself out there and really hustling. Um, but also, um, you know, people have been incredibly supportive and I'm, I'm you know, in, in theater, in, in film and TV, it was working in those diversity programs first. And then in theater, it was, um, you know, random. My first theater gig, I never thought I could be a playwright because every playwright I knew had a grad uh, graduate degree. And so I thought you had to have one. And um, suddenly I was at Sundance working on my um, native project there in the native program there. And I got contacted through Sundance um, about this theater company that wanted to commission Native American writers. And they'd never done that before. And that was Children's Theater Company, actually right here in Minneapolis with Peter Brocious. And he commissioned my first play. And I was like, wow, I didn't of course, you know, and I got to the theater. It's like, well, of course, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I was a ballet dancer. This is dancers with furniture. Like, I know this world. I've been in it my whole life. And it just clicked for me and it made sense. And it was natural. And um, I was really frustrated at that time. That was 15 years ago in film and TV. Um, I was really, really frustrated because, you know, the representation of Native people at that time was, was bad. <laughs> There's a lot of red face going along on a lot of watering down of our stories. You know, I was working alone without any kind of team behind me. And when I got to theater, they were like, yeah, what do you need? What should we do? How do we do this differently? And so I ended up staying in theater for quite a while. Um, I only went back to film and TV recently. And it's, um, and, and so it, it really was based on people in the beginning, just Thing. you know I, I found these opportunities and that connected me with when I, so I was in the right place when someone was looking to reach out but it really took allies it took allies saying you know we want to do this so how, what do you need and um and hire me for the first job hmm. uh this this sort of goes along with the the fifth question but uh what before I get to that though what does make a good ally Ooh, yeah uh, to me, like the best allies are al people that are willing to screw up 
and do it wrong and make a huge mistake. Like people who are um, trying to get everything right, that sounds nice, but in practice, it's very paralyzing and it, and it stops uh, forward action and forward motion. I love, for me, an ally that doesn't know what they're doing, that asks too many questions probably at times, I probably get annoyed sometimes, but is like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I know I don't, I know all that this is the big area over here that I know nothing about and I'm trying to learn and I'm doing my own work, but sometimes I'm gonna ask you a question and then I'm going to go forward and try it and I'm going to screw it up and make people mad and I'm going to fix it and learn and do better. Like that's what I need in a good ally is that someone willing to put themselves on the line. It's incredible how many allies I see in my field who are these beautiful, well-meaning white folks who um, are so well-meaning and so careful and so considerate that they do either do nothing, hence the Thanksgiving play, or they just are so afraid to make a mistake that they're actually making things worse. Like they're putting more work onto me, not just because like, well, I, I'm fine. Like ask me a quick question, fine. But they're, they're so paranoid about doing anything wrong and being seen in a bad light that they end up making me do twice as much work to make them feel okay and to keep them going forward and take care of everything. And, you know, it's just, it's uh, maddening. Um, jump in there, make a mistake, screw up, do it wrong, you know, apologize, ask how to fix it, and then make it right, you know, and, and that takes constant work. Um, and, and, and it's not a job you get to do once. <laughs> it's going to happen again and again and again. And uh, that to me, like, those are the best allies, the ones that just are willing to screw up and do it wrong and take the hit and then move on. Oh, that's, that's, that's a great perspective for sure. Uh, so what would you want to say to the 18 to 22 year old that's listening to this conversation? Oh my gosh. Uh, uh yeah, so many things. <laughs> um, one, uh, you know, you're awesome. Um, you know, the most important thing you have, you have, I'd say the two most important things you have as a career, as an artist is as a creator and content maker, and I'm sure other things too, but that's what I do, um, is, your voice. Um, it's incredible to me how much I see uh, teachers in education trying to change voice. <laughs> Don't let them do it. Uh, the, the, the best, I think, advice I got when I was first starting out in my, in my internship way back when was this executive told me, whatever you do, don't read any of those books that tell you how to write because it'll just, it's just teaching you how to write like all the other people that are reading that book, you know, and whoever wrote that book. Um, he's like, never read the book. <laughs> so I never have, I've never read any books on writing. I have no idea. Um, but they said, because, you know, the most valuable thing you have is your point of view, yourself. You are the only you in the history of yous, you know? So that is incredibly valuable. That's worth more than anything else. And so you have to preserve that. You have to make sure people can tell when they're reading a Larissa Fast Horse play. They know because there's a very... Um, me point of view <laughs> to everything I write. There's a way I write it. There's the way that my characters have a point of view, the way they speak. There's a way that my plays move. There's a way that they always have two endings because that's Lakota storytelling. You know, there's all these things that make it very specifically my point of view that I've preserved and people fight and people try to get rid of it. And trust me, you know, they're always working against it um, because they don't understand it. But that's what makes it eventually when you find the right person who understands it, that makes it rise. Um, I'd say two, okay, I'm going to say three things. Second thing would be um, integrity is everything. 
all you have, these businesses, entertainment businesses are unbelievably small and all you have is your reputation. Um, do not screw people over, do not flake. You have to show up on time, you have to answer the emails, it's annoying. Um, my writing business is one third writing, two thirds of it is business and really annoying, tiring, exhausting business. Um, answering, I get 200 to 250 emails a day that are just business-based. Um, and so it's, it's just constant, constant business and you have to stay on top of that. Um, and you have to be, you know, have integrity in everything you do. You have to show up, you have to be honorable. If you commit to something, do it, <laughs> you know? Um, it's amazing how many young artists flaked on, have flaked on me early in my career actually not even young artists, artists flaked on me. So like they got a better gig and now they're begging me to work for me. And I'm like, I can't trust you. You know, like, I'm sorry, you had, I gave you chances and you blew them. And I just don't, there's plenty of other people that I, that I know I can trust that are trustworthy. and are going to show up. I have no reason to trust you. Um, so, you know, I get that we have to make a living and all that, but if there's anything you can do to honor your commitments, do it. And then um, I forgot what the third one was. I was going to say, so there you go. I forgot it. <laughs> Those are two great ones. Yes, absolutely. That's such a great point, though, about uh, following through and having integrity. Um, I've seen that on the museum side as well, you know, and mm -hmm. you, you want people to be successful, but at the same time, you know, you have to move forward with, with current projects and everything, for sure. So yeah, the reality is, you know, this is a business, right? And the, it's mm -hmm. based, I'm sorry, but it is based on money. This is how I make my living. You know, I don't do anything else. <laughs> so I, I can't just like, you know work on other anyone's timeline and do whatever I have to show. I have to meet my deadlines and people are getting paid and jobs are on the line, you know? Oh, ab um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's consequences um, both ways, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so what do you've got going on right now? Oh my goodness. Um, I'm almost at the end of the, the wildest year in the world. Um, I uh, am right now at this moment, staring at the Guthrie theater in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and we're doing the very First, uh, they've written main stage play in the Guthrie subscription season. Um, it's with myself and Ty Defoe. It's called For the People. Um, Michael Junkar says it's directing. We have an incredible stellar cast, including, uh, you know, these amazing local actors that have been with us through the whole development of the script. We developed the script with Native community in the area. Um, it's an open invitation to people to work with us and help us um, develop it. And now we have uh, these local, half the cast is local native actors and half the cast are people who have been brought in, including Wes Studi, what? Um, who hasn't done a play in 23 years. So wow. this is his return to stage. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, and he's playing an el a hilarious uh, half of a divorced elder couple with his relative, Sherry Foster Blake. <laughs> so the two of them together, um, you know, a lot of people know her from a very cool Kenny Schmidt, but she's done a ton of other things. And so the two of them together getting to play, you know, this divorced couple always at each other is the funniest thing you've ever seen. Um, and then we have like Kalani Kwepo from Jamestown and New, you know, New World, all these amazing things um, he's playing. Uh, what I love, what the reason I'm mentioning these folks is because uh, Wes and, and Kalani, like so many of us know them from, you know, million native roles, but we never get to see them be, hardly ever get to see them be funny. And this is a comedy and they are ridiculous. They get to be so great and broad and funny and crazy. It's just, we laugh all day long and it's awesome. So anyway, we're working on that right now. And then that opens um, October 7th and runs through, I think November 14th. And then I go back to Los Angeles and I'm gonna be uh, workshopping my play, um, 
called? What is it? Fake it till you make it. The one that got canceled this spring that was supposed to be at the Mark Taper Forum. And that's another large native cast play. Um, so we will be workshopping that for a couple of weeks with Center Theater Group in hopes that they do get to do it next year. Who knows? They really don't have any idea yet. And then I go to Peter New York and I do start kicking off the uh, national tour of Peter Pan. Um, I've rewritten the uh, original Broadway musical, the Jerome Robbins musical, not the Disney, different one. Um, and I, uh, um, I'm, you know, I'm really actually, after we just had the first script and score workshop, I'm actually really optimistic that it's it's going to fulfill um, not every dream, but a lot of dreams that we have for revival of this beloved property that has also caused a lot of harm. And I, I think... I'm hoping, you know, as a book writer on a musical, you're actually at kind of the bottom. <laughs> There's, you know, every, the music is above you, the director's above you, the producer, you know, everything is, is above the book, which is the, the part where uh, the words that people say. Um, you're really at the bottom of, the, of the, 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 the whole process here. And so I'm, you know, feeling pretty optimistic that we're gonna get a lot of really great changes in there that are gonna make people feel comfortable and seen and, and that Native folks are going to feel represented and they're going to be able to, you know, safely bring their little people to see this really magical show. It's fantastic that you're creating those opportunities for people to see and to, to get that perspective. Um, that's, yeah. that's amazing. Uh, yeah. we'll, oh, and yeah. we get to employ, so far, I think we have four Native actors in the cast. They're going to be, you know, they get to be employed for the next year touring the country. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. What an opportunity. Yeah. What an opportunity. Uh, so where uh, can the listener find your work or connect with you online? Or not connect with um, you, but yeah, check yeah, you out. I'm everywhere. Um, <laughs> no, uh, my uh, website is Hogan, H-O-G-A-N, HoganHorseStudio.com. I share it with my husband, Ed Hogan, who's a sculptor. Um, it's not updated as much as it should be, but uh, you can reach me through there. And then um, it's, you know, I'm on Insta, I'm on Facebook, I have public pages on both Instagram and Facebook. So people definitely uh, uh, feel free to uh, message me there, which can get a little overwhelming. So I don't always get back to everybody, but I appreciate everybody's interest <laughs> and, and many opinions on Japan. Um, but I, I do my best to respond to people as I can. Right on. I, I didn't mean to create more work for you there. I just missed. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true. People, you know, people know and uh, they, they find me and it's great. And I love being able to connect with people when I can. I just, I can only imagine. Uh, well, what we'll do is, uh, especially for the upcoming shows and uh, your public um, social media, we'll put links in the show notes for the listener to, to connect with That'd you be great. or to check you out there. Yeah. Uh, well, Larissa, thank you so much for your time and uh, for sharing your story with, with the audience. This was so great. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on and I appreciate your persistence because we had some technical difficulties on our first try. So thank you. <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate your grace. Yeah. What a, oh God, I was so stressed yesterday when that happened. <laughs> And that does it for this episode of Five Plain Questions. I want to thank Larissa again for her sharing her time and her story with us. This this was a really special one. Um, I, I I know I've shared this in the past with uh, other episodes, uh, but when we first created this podcast, there was a short list of uh, names that that we put down that of individuals we wanted on this podcast, and among that list of I think eight or so. Um, she was on that list and so to be able to sit down and to share space with her and to have her share her story and experience with us was something really special and something I deeply appreciate so yeah you know it's 
it's really great to be able to connect with someone and to listen to someone who's really put the time in into not just their career but into community and to be able to share stories and to tell our story the way she has uh, it's it's something really special and so yeah Larissa just thank you for for all of this I do appreciate it so be sure to check out her her upcoming original production for the people at the Guthrie Theater this fall in Minneapolis I believe it starts on October 10th um, go to the Guthrie's website uh, you can purchase tickets there uh, she wrote this with Ty Defoe and it's directed by Michael John Garces so please uh, check that out don't miss it because this is uh, the cast of that show is is pretty incredible I want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening but I feel it's a very important story and perspective from our community so please join us next time as we speak with another incredible person I'm Joe Williams. You can find me on our Facebook page, our Instagram page, at Five Plain Questions Podcast, or at the PlainsArt.org website. There you can see our programming, our past videos, and these podcasts. And if you have a suggestion for someone for me to interview, please look me up. I'd really like to hear from you. Well, that does it. Please take care of yourself, and we will see you next time. This has been an 11 Warrior Arts production.